and welcome to this episode of Fashion History with American Duchess. I am your host, Abby Cox. Lauren cannot join us today because she's currently in Nevada and I'm currently in Virginia being joined by the lovely Janie McKnight. Hi, Janie. Hi, Abby. Thank you so much for having me today. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited you're here. Um, Janie is here to talk to us today about enslaved women's clothing during the 18th and 19th century. And Cheney actually has her own business, so another female-run business, yay, um, called Not Your Mama's History. Mm-hmm. Would you like to explain what Not Your Mama's History is? Absolutely. Um, so I really consult uh, with museums to help their interpretation of difficult topics such as slavery. I'm also available to uh, interact with uh, guests. Uh, in form of a historical interpreter. Also, I have a blog, uh, which is on YouTube, Not Your Mama's History, which we have fun and explore history. Uh, We also really explore those really small topics um, that make a big difference as far as living history. And I also consider myself a living historian. I'm always excited about finding those little things that made life possible in the 18th and 19th century. That's actually brilliant because that was actually one of my first questions for you was, you know, as a studiers of history and students of history and especially students of American history, the topic of slavery is something that is extremely important in, in the history of our country and it's something that needs to be represented in living history. And, and you representing enslaved peoples during this time, it, it's something that demands a lot of respect and, and a lot of admiration. And, and I was really curious about what got you into the idea of reenacting an enslaved person and what, what made you want to go into this hobby and career? Well, I think it's definitely, it stemmed from frustration. Mm. So I would go to all these sites and their interpretation of slavery, to put it nicely, was abysmal. (laughs) So um, they would um, discuss this um, in a revisionist way. So Hmm. uh, enslaved persons really enjoyed being enslaved. Uh, They didn't, they never wanted to be free. They never attempted to liberate themselves. And there were a lot of inaccuracies. And then I started doing research. This Hmm. was really when I was in college and that kind of shifted um, really my the direction of my education. Yeah. And I, I just said, I can do this better. I can interpret this better. Also, um, when I came across um, um, sites in which they had interpretations um, of slavery, um, this wasn't really in the South. It was more so in the North. I was very frustrated with Mm -hmm. the interpretations presented by um, black interpreters. Mm. Um, Not so much at reenactments, but really at historical sites in the Mm -hmm. North. And again, I said, I can do this better. Uh, When I go to sites, Mm -hmm. I make sure that I'm presenting a good product, Mm -hmm. but also bringing humanity to the situation. Um, That human element that really connects with guests and I think I hope that's what mm-hmm. I provide and I hope it does connect with people but yeah I think it was definitely saying I can do this better 
and I'm going to do this better. That's awesome. That's that's really. <laughs> I just, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I just love listening to what you what you have to say. So your your comment about humanity made me think of something because it's something that we you and I have talked about privately. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important that we, we discuss terminology very quickly before we go into what these people wore, how they viewed dress, how they applied dress, and how they were able to to communicate who they are in their clothing. And it's the shift that's starting to happen, I feel like it's actually been very recently, of the term enslaved people or persons or enslaved woman or enslaved man versus slave. Um, can you yes. speak to why we've had this switch in terminology? So, uh, it's really, as you said, just recent um, within the um, academic world, and it's really starting to trickle down to museums and now to the public. Um, And it's the shift away from terminology a lot that we see in primary source documents. So, Mm -hmm. you do see the use of um, terminology such as uh, Negro, Blacks, servants, um, slaves, within primary source documents Mm -hmm. but um, as modern historians as modern people Mm -hmm. uh, we should really try and lend some humanity uh, to these people it is the least we can do add another two syllables (laughs) (laughs) to give them some sort of humanity so when we're talking about um, an enslaved field hand Mm. Uh, enslaved servant, mm-hmm. uh, really denoting that this is um, their this is their condition. Mm-hmm. This is not who they are. Yeah, that's when you were saying that. I was it actually just dawned on me. That's why it's so important because enslaved is something that's being applied to them. Yes. It's it's almost like an action versus slave is more of a noun. Yes, and and so and they weren't. By choice, it was imposed upon them. It was it was put onto them. So so yeah. So before we get into um, what they wore, and now we've addressed terminology, which I think is really important, mm-hmm. uh, especially as living historians today and reenactors, is if we can get our terminology right and and work together on that, I think it's going to really help everyone's job here. But I think it's important before we go on, we and we can kind of incorporate dress into this, but discussing very briefly the history of slavery um, in the United States, because it is something we're taught in schools, mm-hmm. but it's yes. filtered with other things. And mm-hmm. we also will have readers who are not from America or the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so just if you would be so kind as to give a, a brief history, if that's even possible, <laughs> but we are on a time constraint, no <laughs> on on the history of slavery in the United States of America. So we're, we're not mm-hmm. talking about Caribbean. We're not yeah. talking about anywhere else, just the United States of America. Yeah. So if you would mm-hmm. kind of go through that for me, please. Uh, so just to start, uh, we're talking about hereditary chattel slavery. Mm. Um, so this is quite different than what we've seen before. Um, because it's hereditary in the fact that uh, really skin color denotes this form of slavery. Mm. Um, You will be enslaved. Your children will be enslaved. Their children will be enslaved. And there is no, uh, there's no end in sight when the person who is enslaved looks forward. Mm. Uh, That 
they are enslaved. This is hereditary chattel slavery. Um, and they are owned. Now, by the 18th century, um, they had noted that the line of enslavement goes through the mother, yeah. which is a complete break from um, really the society. Mm-hmm. Up until that point, it's this is... Um, a paternal yeah uh, paternal society mm-hmm. so of course it goes through the line of the man but of course with slavery um, it went through the line of the woman now mm-hmm. we could go into that I was gonna say be like you and I are looking at each other like oh there's a there's a conversation <laughs> there, here <laughs> there is a whole conversation <laughs> there but I, I will I will leave that for another time yes and slavery spanned for um, roughly 250 years Mm. I say roughly give or take a few years yeah uh, because some people didn't see their freedom until later Mm. Uh, now the numbers wise um, by the time of the Revolutionary War in the 1770s there were roughly 400,000 enslaved persons Mm. Uh, and then uh, by the time of the antebellum period uh, leading up to the Civil War, there are about 3.9 million enslaved persons. So what we're seeing is um, with the mm-hmm. end of the transatlantic slave trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, when so, did that stop? Uh, 1808. Okay, thank you. Uh, yes, yeah, so um, it was passed, um, Congress passed, and then in the same month, I'm sorry, 1807, mm. uh, first Congress, then Parliament, mm. uh, um, passed an act that ended the translate the slave trade um, but that didn't really stop slavery no um, uh, so um, with the end of the transatlantic slave trade they had to um, increase the population of enslaved persons mm. without actually uh, using uh, mm. new enslaved persons from Africa. Yeah. Uh, so they had to do what they call natural increase. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really increasing the population in America. So uh, from the 1770s uh, to uh, the time of the Civil War, almost every year, um, the po- enslaved population increased about 25 to 30%. Dang. That is a lot. Um, so we know rough numbers. Um, the average enslaved woman is giving birth in their lifetime to nine, between nine and ten. Children. Oh, yes. it's like that number, that percentage, on top of the infant mortality rate, on top of just the enslaved yes. person mortality rate, to increase that much. Yes. That cr- yes, and then um, on top of that. We see a migration mm-hmm. um, of enslaved persons uh, through the domestic slave trade. Uh, so even though the uh, transatlantic slave mm-hmm. trade had ended, mm-hmm. the domestic slave trade was still alive. We are moving enslaved persons uh, from the upper south to the lower south. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about a million enslaved persons um, from about 1808 until um, 1860s. Is, um, is that not where, this is what I was taught, is that not where the term downriver comes from? Yes. Yeah. Going yeah. literally down further south. Absolutely. And that was never a good thing. That was never a good thing mm. because you really, 
you know, in the punishment system, this is always a threat. If mm-hmm. you are not good, we will ship you down river. Now, uh, with this in mind, this is a vast population. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, from the north to the south. Mm-hmm. And then in some cases, you even find um, enslaved persons all the way north. In some cases, as far as Minnesota, I'm sorry, all the way west, mm-hmm. as far as Minnesota. Oh, it's that's north and west. Whew, that's cool. Yes. <laughs> and that's so chilling. when we're looking at enslaved clothing, mm-hmm. um, we have to really think really broad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so there, uh, I have to stress, there is no one rule. Mm. Uh, but we do see some similarities um, and commonalities in certain regions and among certain enslaved groups. Uh, so I'll attempt to speak to this, but this is such a broad subject. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, research still coming. Yeah. <laughs> That's what makes it fun, though, at least. Absolutely. It's always, it's always a growth and always a learning process. So, so that's a very brief history of just how broad and expansive it mm-hmm. is, not just, you know, geographically speaking, but numbers-wise. Like, yes. I never... Like the percentage of the numbers that you just said that really hit, like from four hundred thousand to three point nine million. That's huge. That's just and, and that's just a natural increase. So, yeah, uh, the natural birth rate. That's wow. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna. Whew. Yes. So they move. They're all over the place. And and going into dress and the idea is that there is no right way or set way, but. <laughs> But if we could talk about, um, I guess, maybe whatever you specialize in the most and, mm-hmm. and what region and, and of enslaved people, what region they're from that you're most comfortable with. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't actually know which one that is, seems <laughs> how you're from New York, you lived in Atlanta, and you're currently in Virginia. So I don't right. actually know what your expertise is. <laughs> so I, I, I tend to, as far as uh, colonial, I tend to know a, a bit about uh, Virginia, okay. because that's, uh, that's where I am now. <clears throat> I do enjoy talking about um, uh, or researching enslaved persons in South Carolina, mm. um, in Georgia, in some aspects. Um, uh, but really, uh, we see I see a lot in Virginia and South Carolina. Okay, so mm-hmm. kind of more mid-Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now that we've kind of gone through a very, 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 very brief, very brief history mm-hmm. of, of just the numbers and the scope of slavery within the United States of America, would you be so kind as to break down the average enslaved person's wardrobe according to the hierarchy within the home. Um, so we were talking earlier and your your kind of more comfort level and expertise is the more mid-Atlantic region, so mm-hmm. Virginia, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to use them as our main focus point, but like the point you made earlier, there is no, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there is no standard because it's very diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you could talk about what a enslaved field hand would wear for me, please. Mm-hmm. A um, a cook. Okay. So a house servant that's not close to, uh, behind the scenes. Okay. And then, um, for example, a lady's maid. So to start, um, a lot of the allotment that you see, it's allotted through a slaveholder. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially on the larger plantations, um, let's say, 
five or more enslaved persons, they're usually buying cloth in bulk. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so usually they are ordering it from a few places. Uh, Number one, we know, especially during the 18th century, they are ordering cloth, also pre-made cloth, Mm -hmm. pre-cut cloth, Um, from England, or from Europe, I should say. Okay. Uh, And so we know some of the numbers of what they're ordering through order letters, um, and them slaveholders just ordering um, items for enslaved persons. But a few, which I've noticed, are um, usually two pair of summer and winter pants, Mm -hmm. uh, plus a coat, a hat, and a pair of shoes. Mm. Um, This is a common... Um, enough, uh, mm-hmm. especially for enslaved filled hand. Okay. Um, then for women, uh, two summer dresses and a chemise mm-hmm. and at least one winter dress, which would probably be Lindsay Woolsey. Okay. Um, and this is especially, um, these numbers are specifically for the 19th century, but I also see this as well for the 18th Similar, century. The 18th century. Uh, sim- similarities. Did they have shirts included for uh, the enslaved men? Or, uh, or was that just kind of on an as-needed basis? Uh, usually they do have some sort of shirts. So mm. um, we do see them ordering cloth okay. uh, specifically for shirts. Would it have been a wool or would it have been a linen? Uh, most likely a linen. Like Osnenberg? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, and then um, this is really a really generous allotment that okay. I just read off. Um, oh. Some we see uh, four and a half yards per person for the year. Hmm. Four and a half yards of cloth. What year What year is that? Um, this um, example um, that I found was from the 19th century, um, but I have found that's, similar examples for the 18th century as well. That's, that, you can't even, for, for those of you all listening at home, if you've never made an 18th century gown before, like just your standard mm-hmm. run of the mill. You're not too big. You're not too little. You're just kind of normal, which spans the vast majority of people, because you either got to be like super super tall, or you know very very broad. Four and a half yards doesn't even make a gown. Yeah. Like you need on like four and a half is like the bare minimum to make a gown. I don't think I've ever <laughs> made a gown. <laughs> With that little of fabric, without without having to sit there and go, you're gonna have to piece this thing within an inch of its life. Like you need about five to six for for just a normal height person. Absolutely. So four and a half yards for a year allotment. Mm-hmm. I don't. You're just uh, questioning, and that's um, that's kind of on a low side, but it's. Mm. It's not uncommon. Yeah, Uh, it still existed. Yeah, so when I was looking at, um, I was looking at um, letters Mm. between um, slaveholders and the manufacturers from the mills, whether it was in the north, uh, the south, or over in Europe, uh, this is something that crops up. Uh, Mm -hmm. So this is an unheard of number or for an allotment, uh, whether or not some of these um, slaveholders may have had a working weave house on the plantation, who knows. But uh, from accounts, uh, the accounts that we do have, 
Uh, we do know that some enslaved persons were getting by with the bare minimum. Oh my goodness. Uh, so uh, from there, uh, we know that um, enslaved persons in the house, uh, so uh, enslaved servants. So mm-hmm. let's start with an enslaved lady's maid. Okay. Uh, this is really a re- representative of uh, the lady of the house, especially if it's Virginia Gentry. Mm. So most likely she's wearing something very fine, something yeah. similar uh, to what... Uh, the lady of the house is wearing a little less um, extravagant, but still very nice. You may see um, caracos, you may see gowns. Mm-hmm. Um, the fabric uh, may be printed cotton, which we know is expensive in the 18th century. Yes. Um, it be more expensive than silk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you very can, expensive. <laughs> exactly. And you may find some silks as well. Mm. Uh, so um, it's very diverse. Whatever. So a lot of times you'll see hand-me-downs you'll also see them actually ordering uh fabric um and having the milliners Mm -hmm. uh i shouldn't say the seamstress Mm -hmm. um cut and sew Mm -hmm. which is just um you're really paying for labor Mm -hmm. it's not too expensive um then we see other people within the house Mm -hmm. um maybe an enslaved cook Mm -hmm. Uh, we know that they're probably getting the same allotment as mm-hmm. other enslaved persons um, in um, other enslaved persons that may be out in the fields, but it does vary. Uh, so they may also be getting hand-me-downs. Mm-hmm. They may be getting cloth, different cloth, maybe mm-hmm. a different um, a different color um, or different dyes. Now, I have to put forth that there was a system of re- of rewards in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we know that they're trying to re- regulate um, enslaved clothing mm-hmm. because to some people it's very offensive to see an enslaved person walking down the street in as fine of cloth mm. as they themselves have. Yeah. Uh, so we do know that um, <clears throat> at this point they are really attempting uh, to change What year the is laws. this? Could you clarify for uh, me, please? I apologize. It's okay. <laughs> uh, uh, so around the 18th century, we see... Okay. Um, so last mid- quarter? Early. Revoir? Uh, before. Oh. Early 18th century. Oh. Uh, <laughs> 1720s. Uh, Re- that early? We, that really? early. We see regulations being put into place already. Uh, so wow. we see... Uh, what they call Negro codes, slave mm-hmm. codes, um, being sneak, snuck into the law there, but it never works okay. as far as clothing <laughs> because that's, no one. That's almost like seventeen twenties, really. I mean, everything like I understood is that you know around the Rev War time period. <laughs> no. um, if if your ladies made look nice, that made you as the owner looked look uh, like look how well you can mm-hmm. afford to keep. Your servants. But really, the regulations weren't really for the enslaved persons in the household. Okay. It was really, uh, they're finding enslaved persons that may have been working out in the fields. Oh. They may have gotten their hands on some extra cloth, mm. or uh, some slaveholders allowed enslaved persons to maybe sell chickens on the side, yes. or which is an enslaved enterprise at the time, at, at during the 18th century and 19th century. Mm. If you bought a chicken in a market, most likely it was from an enslaved person. So the eggs as well? Uh, yes. Yes. 
so uh, they're, they can get money through other means, uh, mm-hmm. selling their produce that they're given um, a lot of land, a plot of land. So I, I think that's interesting, too, because, and I don't know if it's because usually when we as students here in the United States study slavery, we kind of focus on the more antebellum Civil War period, and it's a very different environment then, and like the laws and things changed that made it even more worse, if that's even possible. But I don't think a lot of people understand that in the 18th century, a enslaved person could actually earn money to to spend as they saw fit well am i correct is, in that uh please correct me if i'm wrong in that <laughs> I, well uh this is through both um okay. 18th and 19th century okay uh, and this is not all slaveholders yes. uh so uh slaveholders it all depends case by case mm-hmm. um basis um, but we do see some differences between mm-hmm. 18th and 19th century mm-hmm. slavery. Uh, number one being um, enslaved persons in 18th century could, uh, if their owner sends them, I should say, if their slaveholder sends them to learn to read and write, mm-hmm. they can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they are learning a trade, mm-hmm. <laughs> they can do that. Mm-hmm. Now, And that makes them more valuable to yes. to the master as so well we see um the i i want to be careful in saying this we see the an increase in the resale value or in yes. the appraisal of enslaved persons especially in inventories mm-hmm. so enslaved persons that can read who have a skill such as they can blacksmith mm-hmm. um they're trained wheel rides mm-hmm. their price their price on the auction block is completely different than someone um, who would not have those mm-hmm. skills. So, so and with those skill sets and making, being able to make money, whether it's through chickens, eggs, plot of land, crops, a trade skill, mm-hmm. they they could and I assume did spend money on fabric and clothing pieces as well. Oh yes. Yeah. Now we see the issue coming in uh, when. Enslaved persons mm-hmm. are walking down the street and they have been able to buy certain items that was reserved for certain people in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe uh, a silk petticoat mm-hmm. or uh, a, a jacket that of fabric that was reserved for a certain station in life. Maybe um, a a certain type of printed cotton yeah. that, again, very expensive. But when white eyes see it, they're mm-hmm. saying, how could this enslaved person afford this? And I not be able to afford this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, you see a lot of white observers. There's mm-hmm. a lot of reactions that you see from them. Mm-hmm. Some of them is complete outrage. Some mm-hmm. of them is um, just very much interested in... Mm-hmm. Where did they get this fabric from? Mm-hmm. Uh, why are they wearing it? So uh, then we start to see a pushback in laws. Okay. Uh, how are we going to change these laws and put them forth? But they never really succeed. Number one, clothing was an integral part of the um, this plantation system. Mm. 
Well, you talked about, you mentioned earlier, and we kind of got slightly off topic, but the reward system. Yes. And clothing was used as a reward. Can you, can you explain that? Because I realized <laughs> we were going, I was like, oh, wait. The reward system. Uh, So you could get clothing as a reward, what I know, through giving birth. Something as Mm -hmm. simple as giving birth. uh, Because you have just increased the holdings Mm -hmm. of your slaveholder. And we know that this happens uh, 18th century as well as 19th century. And imagine uh, your child in a way you are being rewarded for bringing a child into slavery um and it could be with calico fabric Mm. um i heard one instance i read one instance of an enslaved woman receiving silk wow uh, cotton printed cotton Mm -hmm. uh so um this was common enough then of course rewards through producing um Mm -hmm. a certain amount uh, if you did exceptionally well mm-hmm. in the fields, you may receive um, some sort of allotment. Uh, if we know the tattletelling system mm. on the plantation, maybe if you uh, divulge some information to your slaveholder, they may uh, reward you with a piece of cloth or a piece of clothing. Oh. Or um, if you're, again, if you're doing something exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. And then there's also to provide some sort of hierarchy within yeah. the plantation system, which I must must put forth. There are two different hierarchies on a plantation. Okay, uh, There is a hierarchy imposed by the slaveholder, and okay. then there is a hierarchy within the enslaved community. What are they and how do they differ? Uh, so within this enslaved community, especially in the 18th century, mm-hmm. uh, we see a hierarchy as far as elders, mm-hmm. healers, mm. spiritual leaders. Is, is that more trying to hold on to their traditional mm-hmm. African roots? Uh, we do see this definitely within okay. uh, a direct correlation to um, their African roots. Okay. Um, and so we definitely see that sort of hierarchy. Okay. And then we see... A slaveholder imposing hierarchy so uh, we have uh, the overseer mm-hmm. or um, an enslaved overseer um, that may be provided with different types of cloth mm. uh, and it, then again we see the imposed hierarchy within the household yes um, people like the personal enslaved waiting maid uh, the personal enslaved waiting man. Mm-hmm. Um, then we see the cook. Mm-hmm. They may have different types of clothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that I don't think they really understood was that even though there was some sort of division as far as duties, mm-hmm. they are still related to one another in yeah. many cases. Yeah. Uh, so even though there's this large division. family. A- absolutely. So even though you may work in the house, mm-hmm. uh, you still have family members who work in the fields. And mm. you still, um, when it's time for um, what they call uh, enslaved ball, mm-hmm. they may uh, go down to the quarters and they are with their family members. So um, we do see a lot of trading of cloth as well. Oh, what's the enslaved ball? Uh, well, uh, a slave ball for okay. the time uh, is basically you 
usually happens um, on a weekend. Okay. Uh, they all come together mm-hmm. on a plantation. You may bring some food, may pull some food. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be some music. There will be mm-hmm. dancing. There will be food. Um, this is something that um, we read about mm-hmm. um, from in the WPA interviews. Okay. Um, so uh, we're also seeing it in narratives. Okay. Uh, this was common enough. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe enslaved persons from plantations around. This was a big oh, wow. deal. Yeah. Um, was it on a weekly basis or a monthly basis? What it just sort of <laughs> depends. Just, it all depends okay. on what's going on. But so, but there is evidence of saying like a lady's maid gifting something that she might have acquired to mm-hmm. a cousin or a sibling or someone who might not be in as higher ranked within the master's hierarchy yes okay. uh, so we definitely see that going on as well so clothing may be disseminated through those mm. means as well uh, and then there's also the <clears throat> and then there's also the slave economy okay so uh, we do know there's a lot of bartering of clothing mm-hmm. going on as well and we see in the runaway slave ads um, that that's something that they may be taking with them. Mm-hmm. Um, they may actually steal clothing mm-hmm. from their slaveholder mm-hmm. in order to barter later on. Yeah. Well, which Textiles are expensive. Yes. It's, and this is ready money. Yes, this is easy cash, essentially. <laughs> yes. So definitely, we see a lot of proof that this mm-hmm. is really, um, this is money cold hard cash in the enslaved community clothing and we know this is something that they are um, after and they want to get different types of cloth and they want um, to really uh, especially when they go go to meet clothes that means uh, Sunday Mm -hmm. uh, or church clothes yes we call today um, that's important and we, again, through white eyes, we mm-hmm. have observations of mm-hmm. what it may have looked like. So um, turbans, as they call them, what uh-huh. we call uh, head rags mm-hmm. or head wraps mm-hmm. um, of multiple different colors mm-hmm. and <laughs> different styles and ties, um, as well as a very uh, strongly fashion clothing. Sometimes <laughs> they may receive a calico dress and dye it a different color. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yes, and it comes out something completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they may add different trims to it. Nice. Um, what they can get their hands on, mm-hmm. scraps that may have been uh, thrown away as nothing but rags, They'll pick it up, maybe be able to add some piping mm. uh and this is 19th century. Uh, this is 19th okay. century. Or um, we see late 18th century mm-hmm. examples of mm-hmm. this as well. Um, but again, I really, I would love to see more um, research on Sunday dress among mm. the enslaved persons in the 18th century. Yeah. Um, but we also see a lot of examples in the 18th century okay. um, of white observers seeing uh, enslaved persons getting ready. Uh-huh. Uh, so Hair-wise, yeah. uh, we know that they are powdering their hair and they're putting it into the styles of the time. And is... <laughs> well, you and I have talked about this, how it, and sometimes in the 18th century, that was probably very easy to do. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it would require 
little to no effort. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. I find I found that um, now that was something that brought me joy mm-hmm. reading about it because you see the resistance. Yeah. In their, in just the styling of their hair mm-hmm. and saying, well this is how I'm going to do my hair. I'm going to powder my hair Mm -hmm. and my hair is going to look better than your wig. (laughs) And and you can see that in the Mm -hmm. pride, the way that they spoke about how they walked down the street Mm -hmm. with their heads held high and really being able to present that. You see resistance in Mm -hmm. them wearing certain things. And in the descriptions, it sounded like... um, that they got some sort of pride from offending white onlookers. <laughs> and when they're appalled, when they look at these offending color clashes, especially we see that in the 18th century as well. That's fascinating you say you talk about that because it is something that you see throughout history mm-hmm. that people will use their dress to stand mm-hmm. up and protest and to resist. You see it. In this case, you you see it in World War Two, tired like just all over the place. You know, saying you might control my body, you might control my life, but I'm gonna resist in any way I can. And if that means wearing colors that bug you, <laughs> then I'm going to do it. Absolutely. Or, or wearing your hair yes. certain. It's fascinating. And I, and I think they definitely uh, felt joy. Mm. You can see the joy of being able to put these items on the, the pride of having these items um, presented. And then if it just happened to (laughs) offend white onlookers, all the better in some (laughs) cases. Um, That's That's, that gives me like, all I'm getting all sorts of goosebumps, like thinking about it and just, yeah, the pride and how it would make you feel as a person and, and then also being able to stand up for yourself at the same way. It's an excellent way of self-expression, too. Absolutely. And being able to say, I am a person. I am a human. And my yeah. clothing reflects that. Yeah. Oh, that's so... Mm. Sorry. I'm having... No. I'm having Abby does interviews. And I was being like, oh, this is I love this. Yes. <laughs> so, so let's shift gears a little bit, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but still talking about clothing, obviously. We just You just addressed this beautiful point about enslaved people and them using their dress and their fashions as a, as a way to, to claim themselves, to resist, and to express themselves. Was there a difference between a freed person of color versus an enslaved person of color and how they dressed... And so, from a historical perspective, and then I would assume also, depending, you would change how you dressed, if this was true, on if you were to represent someone who was enslaved versus someone who was freed. Like, how did their wardrobes differ? I think um, there's a few things. Um, This is culturally, this is regional. Um, So, I would personally change... Uh, my dress for an enslaved person versus um, a free person um, really by what would I have been doing Mm -hmm. as an enslaved person 
Um, and then there's some cultural um, specialties within the clothing. Mm-hmm. So um, if I am working out in the field and there is maybe danger from snakes in that particular field, you may find some religious, I shouldn't say religious, spiritual charms Mm -hmm. of some sort on their person, Mm -hmm. maybe hanging off an apron string, um, or you may find that the shoes are a bit more muddy, but then Mm -hmm. um, there isn't as much difference uh, between enslaved person's clothing and the average poor white person during this Mm. time what you see are cultural differences within clothing which may even extend to uh free blacks as well uh but you may see some differences as far as hair okay Uh, i see a lot more uh especially uh, free black women who okay. are not working mm-hmm. out in the fields they are trying as best they can to uh, spend more time grooming their hair this okay. is something that uh, enslaved persons lost okay. uh, you may have noticed black hair takes a lot of time <laughs> and a lot of effort when it's in its natural state mm-hmm. um, it can be absolutely beautiful if you have the time to put into it Mm -hmm. and this is definitely something that was lost during slavery but uh free blacks actually had uh more time to allot to themselves and their grooming practices okay Uh, so you may see um more of the women with their hair done Mm -hmm. and put beneath a cap if it's Mm -hmm. the 18th century or their hair done and uh, put underneath a bonnet mm-hmm. if it's the 19th century. But you also see free black women with head wraps as well, depending on their station in society. Interesting. Interesting. Very cool. So, yeah. was there any other nuances that you've noticed? Uh, like, the hair and the head wraps, that that makes a lot of sense. Would would there be... And, and yeah, talking about, say, an enslaved person who's in the field, and there... And just to clarify, I guess, there wasn't necessarily that much difference between a a household servant, a household enslaved individual versus a, a freed person. Like they would be dressed fairly similarly. Or or <laughs> was there well, let me rephrase this actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Cause we we just talked about the idea of resistance in dress and clashing mm-hmm. in dress and this was by enslaved people mm-hmm. is there evidence of freed people having the same level of clashing and resistance in dress or did they try to assimilate more into into mm. white american culture and blend in more so that way they they could differentiate themselves out uh, there are two parts here um i first want to uh, show that um, it all depends. Are these free blacks, were they at one point enslaved in their lives? Mm. Uh, if they were born free, um, the mentality is a bit different. Um, they are still black in a system that oppresses them, mm-hmm. uh, but they were born free and had uh, different expectations as far as clothing mm-hmm. and hair and hair care. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we do see these very similar cultural, Mm -hmm. 
these cultural similarities as far as uh, when you go to church, this is your time to shine. Mm. <laughs> you will have your Sunday best. And that's across 18th and 19th society. You mm-hmm. see when people people have their Sunday best. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you see with uh, free blacks, you also see some of the uh, similar cloth choices mm-hmm. <laughs> also uh, some of the uh, very interesting colors okay. um as well as uh sometimes some of the very interesting head coverings as head well coverings and head wraps excellent <laughs> so you've addressed beautifully how enslaved people as well as freed people might have a different view of of textile choice and color and we've talked about how textiles and fabric are essentially a currency within the the enslaved individuals within a household but even as a larger community mm-hmm. and part of this is unique to to the culture but also just historically speaking fabric was expensive and yes. so it is it is money essentially yeah. which is hard for a lot of modern people to think about because we're so blase about it absolutely <laughs> but when you do research and dress and and i've come across it and i know you've come across it and I know there's people out there listening who have come across it. There are certain materials and certain fabrics and certain textiles that are heavily associated with the enslaved um, individual in this enslaved society within this country. Um, and there's one that raises just the biggest issue because there seems to be very little about it. But it is actually fabric called Negro cloth. Mm-hmm. Could you address what you think it is? what it was mm-hmm. made from, and then other textiles that were very common um, within the enslaved community and what was purchased. We, we've mm-hmm. already talked about Osnabrück linen, but, mm-hmm. but other ones as well. But if you could address Negro cloth for me, please, I'd be really appreciative. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I think um, when I first started mm-hmm. uh, living history and reenacting, that was the most maddening part because <laughs> I even went back to manufacturers mm-hmm. uh of the period and researched the manufacturers in Rhode Island, um, even in England, to try to figure out mm-hmm. what is Negro cloth. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, it goes by <laughs> mystery fabric number three. <laughs> and then it goes by slave cloth as mm-hmm. well, plantation cloth. Um, Niger cloth. <laughs> yes, as well. Textiles <laughs> so, in America, thank you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so <laughs> we're just trying to figure out what is this. Um, and so. Uh, I did a bit of research and I came up with a few things. Mm-hmm. It's not just one cloth. Okay. It is multiple cloths. Um, generally speaking, it's very coarse. Okay. It is very cheaply made, um, cheaply woven. Uh, no, cheap, the cheap and um, the last of the product that you can get out okay. of a yield. Uh, and that's usually what we're talking about. Um, and I'll just I have a few of them. Uh, we have Osnaberg, which yes. is a plain weave cotton. It's the classic. Yes. Like, I don't think and, I've seen a runaway <laughs> advertisement that does not have Osnaberg listed. And I have mm-hmm. one for you to feel right Thank here. Thank you. Yeah. It is. It's very rough. Mm-hmm. I have a petticoat um, out of it. And mm-hmm. it is miserable it is itchy <laughs> it is heavy uh, even it's though everything linen's not supposed to be <laughs> it is horrible it's absolutely horrible um, oh and um, wearing it for any amount of time is just mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just miserable so i can't imagine having to have an entire allotment of cloth 
made from this from yeah, material. Like really coarse, heavy Osenberg. Yeah. Um, for the listeners at home, she uh, Cheney was lovely and did bring in a, bring in a sample for me. And when we post the blog for this podcast, we'll mm-hmm. we'll put some pictures up so that way you all can at least see it. Uh, and then we have some another common thing called mm-hmm. Lindsay Woolsey, which yeah. you're probably familiar with. Yeah, now, now, let me tell you, for those of you who aren't in the living history community, if you get your hands on some Lindsay Woolsey, it is today. <laughs> it is very expensive. It is very rare. Uh, people may take you down <laughs> to get a hold of your Lindsay Woolsey. Like, no, this isn't Lindsay Woolsey. It's... It's, it's something else. Right? Exactly. Uh, so within the living history community, when you're walking down with Lindsay Woolsey, people are like, whoa. Uh, but with this case, this was one of those really cheap, yeah. made fabrics that were just, it was just really cheap. Now, by the 19th century, though, when you hear Lindsay or Lindsay Woolsey, most likely the linen is not linen. It is cotton. Mm. That's fascinating because in the mm-hmm. 18th century, people would use the term cotton and it was actually linen. Yes. And it's not actually, but now they switched it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, because you start to see. Oh, marketing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in the 18th century, uh, cotton is the more expensive. Yeah. Uh, so you see a lot of, um, I did come across this in um, a, um, um, a pr- I'm sorry, a cloth manufacturer's mm-hmm. advertisement where it said cotton, but obviously they're referring to linen because they um, specifically are advertising for slave cloth or Negro cloth. And obviously it's linen. Yeah, they're not. Uh, <laughs> so I did come across that a great deal. Um, now we have Kersey, which is mm-hmm. a twill weave uh, fabric um usually wool fibers the short very short wool fibers this is the worst wool you could get it's very itchy because it is why everyone's like wool's itchy it's like well then that's not a good wool (laughs) exactly it's the really because it's short you're Mm -hmm. getting itchy and it's horrible um i had um i had mitts in that and it was just awful i just i couldn't do it i handed off to one of my um one of my up-and-coming uh, reenactor friends who uh, I hope she's enjoying that. <laughs> or maybe she's lined them. Right. <laughs> I totally hope for the best. Just passing it out. Um, and then, of course, um, satinette, which is um, a cotton wool blend mm-hmm. that's a bit smooth. A bit nicer. Uh, it's deceitfully nice. <laughs> I would say uh, because there is, even though you get it and it's very smooth, apparently. Yeah. Uh, apparently, sometimes after a while, it would start to fray in the middle and then you would see the, you would feel the itch oh. of this. So that's at Sneaky least from some accounts. Coming, yeah. Coming mm-hmm. out of the, of the weave. Mm. And then, of course, uh, Jean which yeah. is cotton or cotton and wool. Yeah. Uh, no, this is uh, very common. Awesome. And uh, we are also know that they're getting cloth from weave houses on plantations. Yes, yes. Um, which, and they're also dyeing their cloth as well. Oh, okay. Uh, so. Do you see a, a color preference in enslaved people's clothing? I do see a lot of blues. 
Okay. I think because that's just indigo and cheap and just a cheap dye, very cheap dye. Mm -hmm. Um, You see browns, um, you see turkey red. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And um, I do know that the enslaved persons did enjoy red. Yes. But as you know, in a lot of the period, bright red is very expensive. Yes. So if they got their hands on some red, uh, not turkey red, but red red. Yeah, they're good for <laughs> matter red. Yes, yeah. they were excited oh, yeah. about it. So you do see um, things that they're really excited about in certain silks and fabrics if they could get it red. Awesome. You see that coming. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. It's Because, no I mean, like, you see textiles in the 18th century especially and obviously for those listening they know that's my area of expertise I don't I don't pretend to know anything about anything else yeah. it's like I, I'm good at the 18th century I'm learning everything else too mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. there's such a broad spectrum of, of textiles and, and quality and, and so to mm-hmm. you know Osenberg might be the most common mm-hmm. but there's still a nice interesting variety and like we talked about earlier they could even get their hands on silk yes because silk can be very cheap in the 18th century Absolutely. so depending on what you're working with <laughs> yeah so but it's nice to see it, that there's a lot of diversity within the textiles of enslaved people and um we do know that um there's a commonality especially in the 18th century of mm-hmm. what they're wearing okay because within the slave the runaway slave ads we see wording such as the usual clothing of a laboring negro mm. uh we see uh, clothes such as plantering Negroes usually wear, clothed as Negroes commonly are. So yeah. there is this idea of what enslaved persons are wearing. Mm-hmm. So we're able to kind of piece together mm-hmm. um, what an enslaved person is wearing. And usually it's natural cloth and mm-hmm. um, undyed. If it's dyed, maybe blue, maybe yeah. checked. So, so we just kind of talked about the more common fabrics mm-hmm. um, that enslaved people would wear and kind of the concept of a uniform, like you said, that mm-hmm. there was a, a, a seems to be some sort of uniform going on and a lot of natural colors, mm-hmm. a lot of browns. Osnaberg is always a natural linen color. Mm-hmm. You might see blue through indigo or, mm-hmm. or turkey red, but you, you have come across in your research, um, I believe it's mostly in the 19th century, but maybe you, you found mm-hmm. more information about really fun and quirky trends within the enslaved community mm-hmm. of how they would alter their clothing, mm-hmm. mend their clothing, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So if, if you could elaborate on that for me, I would love to listen and hear no all, of, all of this wonderful information. <laughs> now, by the, uh, toward the end of the 18th century, we definitely see some unique, um, choices within the combinations of clothing Mm -hmm. Uh, so the way in which they're putting clothing together Uh, there are distinct rules in the 18th century of how you are going to dress yourself as you know yeah well (laughs) and it is different with other cultures because uh, like a anglo american person Mm -hmm. is going to put their materials and their fabrics together differently than say Mm -hmm. a dutch person absolutely because the dutch have (laughs) Oodles are fun. (laughs) And the Netherlands are just like, everything everywhere. It's got flowers on it. I'm going to wear it. Where like an Anglo-American person, 
you know, you don't see images of, of Anglo-American people, uh, women, with, say, a printed floral cotton petticoat yeah. and a plain gown on top. Yes. It's inverse. It, yes, it is. Like, it, it's very, it's even today, when I, if I see someone doing that, I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa are, they, are they Dutch? Yes. Are they Dutch? And it's like, no, they're not Dutch. Yes. Oh. Okay, so. <laughs> so we see in these observations that they are mm-hmm. breaking some of the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I looked into, uh, in Williamsburg, yeah. uh, some uh, free blacks are breaking the rules as far as clothing. Um, and Virginia-wide, mm-hmm. uh, you can see that. Also in South Carolina, there are some accounts of uh, enslaved persons wearing these uh funky, I would say, I wouldn't say funky, but these uh, petticoats on mm-hmm. the bottom that would not normally be okay. put on the bottom with fabric, like the printed cotton. Yeah. Uh, because they just think it looks nice. <laughs> so can you give me, like, do you have any examples of, like, descriptions of it for our listeners? Um, in a runaway slave ad, we mm-hmm. do see uh, a printed cotton petticoat okay. uh, that <laughs> does have some sort of, or he describes it as some sort of floral mm-hmm. uh, petticoat, which, uh, as you were saying, mm-hmm. uh, is not <laughs> the norm <laughs> no. for, especially in a uh, in a English yeah. uh, colony. Uh, that probably was why it was a note. Yeah, it <laughs> so Why it came up in the runaway slave ad. Uh, then uh, we also say see different uses of fabric and okay. colors with the uh, market caps. Oh, uh, so, so a bonnet. Uh, uh, yes, the bonnet. Yeah. Uh, so um, uh, the most common that I've seen mm-hmm. are the black set, uh, this black silk. Yeah. Um, that seems to be the most common overarching yes. is, is a black silk. Yes. But you've seen differences within that yeah. as well? Within the runaway slave ads, mm-hmm. you see some instances of different colors within being brought in. or mm. uh, You see some that are the black silk, mm-hmm. then you see others, maybe a red or Ooh. something different. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Exactly. <laughs> That'd be... I wouldn't know if that was a good idea to, to steal a red silk bonnet because that's going to be really obvious. <laughs> I think, I really think that they, um, that uh, enslaved person probably made that. They probably yeah. acquired that fabric and made a red silk bonnet, <laughs> which, mm. <laughs> Well, it's like, if you're not trying to escape for freedom and, and you're not trying to be hidden can you imagine me behind a bush with a bright red? <laughs> like, can't see. Well, it would work if the person was colorblind. That's true. That's then true. It, it wouldn't matter. But it's like a bright red bonnet on your head. So I, I very, I would love to hear that story uh, mm-hmm. behind some of these. It's so, it's yeah. so. That's another thing that's frustrating about the runaway slave mm-hmm. ads. We only get the snapshot of what this person possibly had, and it's a very biased snapshot. It snapshot is. too. It's yes. not. It's not from their perspective. It is. It is from their the owner perspective. Yeah, and, and usually, <laughs> usually they're not very excited. <laughs> you can see some bitterness at times coming through. They're talking about the ca- the character of the enslaved person. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
I'm sure this will definitely help you. Frustrations out there. It's like, oh, okay, sir. Anyway. <laughs> um, so what about these crazy quilt bottoms? Oh, antebellum? oh trends. I'm sorry. The trends. Yes. Uh, so a few trends that I Gotta saw. I love a red silk bonnet, but. <laughs> true, true. Uh, a few trends I saw. Um, Number one, in the weaving houses, mm-hmm. uh, this comes up over and over again. These women, uh, be- these enslaved women became experts in which dyes, uh, mm-hmm. what barks you could do, mm-hmm. use, which plants would produce colors. And then they started using it in a way in which they wanted to use mm-hmm. it in these, what, in the 19th century, uh, late, mid-19th century called home swans, whatever's made. Yeah, um, locally produced. Uh, so uh, they're putting in stripes of different colors mm. <laughs> any way they want them to go. And uh, you see this as a trend mm-hmm. uh, throughout. So uh, you may come across enslaved persons with funkadelic <laughs> <laughs> colors. Um, and then we also see crazy quilts. <laughs> yeah. What I like to call crazy quilts. Um, it. By the 1860s uh, and late late 1860s, 1870s, it became the trend among enslaved persons and afterwards uh, free persons uh, to actually patchwork. Uh, and this arose because, especially in the South, there was no fabric to be had. Yeah, during the Civil War. During the Civil War. Uh, there was a shortage of fabric, mm-hmm. so... Yeah whatever you could use to make something new again. So um, one of my uh, favorite accounts is 100 Days Amongst um, the Contraband. Mm -hmm. And she talks about uh, providing these enslaved young girls uh, and her students with dresses Uh um, that uh, were donated uh, from up north. Mm -hmm. And... They, she sends home the dresses to be finished. The girls actually, it's a whole project. They're making them, and she sends them off to be finished at their home. <laughs> it comes back. Some of the girls' mothers <laughs> have added <clears throat> different lengths of cloth, of cloth to the bottom of the dresses, and she is horrified. <laughs> she, uh, some of the mothers are saying, you sent my daughter home, and this dress just wasn't long enough. So I added more fabric to your short dress. <laughs> so basically, I can imagine a mother saying this to this woman. It wasn't good enough. It just, I fixed it. I fixed it for you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, you I, can thank me later. Right. <laughs> so uh, to them, I, I think today we would just be like, this is fabulous. This is amazing. But then again, it was breaking rules. <laughs> It was very offensive (laughs) to white observers looking on and saying, what have you done with these beautiful plaid dresses that we provided to to you? Uh, And they're, this is a little bit more pizzazz to them. They fixed them. Okay. (laughs) They fixed those dresses. (laughs) They were okay. And now they're better. Exactly. So we see this as a trend going forward. We see, um, 
adding a, maybe a strip of a different fabric. Mm. Uh, and this is, um, I see this quite a bit, especially toward the end of the war and going into Reconstruction as well. Nice. And um, I wish that those survived. Could They probably, even if they did survive, people, conservatives today, I wonder if, if curators and conservatives would look at these gowns and go, well, this is obviously some sort of weird remake. <laughs> this isn't correct. And then, like, pick it apart not realizing that it was actually, you know, a freed person or enslaved person's. Because I would kill to see a gown that has extra lengths added onto the hem in Absolutely. just different fabrics, just completely in contrast. Absolutely. It'd be amazing. It'd be like finding the unicorn. <laughs> actually, I'm really excited. I've been trying to make a... Uh, crazy quilt dress mm -hmm. <laughs> which I call it um, for the longest just mm. I wanted to add on pieces of bond who knows you may see me at an event soon enough um, with a bit of addition that's awesome now we also see uh, things that enslaved women are using to um, make themselves warmer okay. uh, in the winter we know that they aren't allotted enough uh, fabric for um for pants. Mm -hmm. uh, so what they do is they use, they cut off the bottoms of the men's pants mm. and they use it as leggings. So they probably fit it around just nice. below their knees or above their knees. I'm, I really, I've actually seen picture evidence. When I first saw an image uh -huh. with an enslaved, I think she was a contraband at that point. I okay. saw, I thought I saw pants. <laughs> peeking out from underneath her dress and I was like wait a minute yes exactly I was like wait a minute what it's is like, going on here I've seen some here? weird stuff but there's a line here people <laughs> and then I kept it kept cropping up oh, yeah. and I kept seeing them and uh, eventually um, I asked um, a historian uh, that I had been in contact with and she said oh yeah uh, they were using leggings um, to for warmth yeah. Uh, so use cannibalizing the men's old pants. The and blown out tops and exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. very practical though. I know, right? Maybe we should, you know, like just just above the knee leggings. Exactly. I feel like they sell those now for like deep water fishing or something. But I'm <laughs> exactly. Right. right. <laughs> well, this has been awesome, T, and I I'm so grateful okay. that that you've come and talked to me today about enslaved people's dress and and how how exciting it is it's it's like i've learned so much listening to you mm -hmm. and and knowing that and learning about how different and diverse and how expressive it could be and how much there is to learn about it yes. and 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 explore that within the dress history field and the living mm -hmm. history field and 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 recreate things like the crazy quilt quote unquote dress Absolutely. and, and I'm so excited for you to do that to see how people interact with the clothing in that way because it is, it is telling a story through the clothing. Um, before we end this podcast, um, I've asked some other people I've interviewed before uh, the same question, and and so I'm going to ask you it as well. It is for for those listening at home who might be interested in exploring the possibility of being or representing a person who is enslaved in history. And through reenacting events, through mm -hmm. costume events, who who wants to get into the hobby, if you will, um, through the same avenue that you have to represent enslaved people and or free people, mm -hmm. 
What do you recommend for them as first-time reenactors and costumers? Um, what's your main piece of advice for them? I would say you have to, have to give these people humanity. Mm-hmm. Find their humanity. They are not just a number. They are not just a a chapter in a Mm -hmm. history book, which a lot of us know slavery as just a chapter in a history book. Um, They are not an accessory to a reenactment or living history Mm. event. These were people who lived and worked and fought and played and laughed and cried and had relationships uh, and interacted with different people. These are people who helped in the building of a country. There would be no United States of America Mm. without enslaved persons. Mm. I say this with most confidence. Um, before each event, um, I always, once I put on my clothing, Mm -hmm. I always kneel and have a moment with myself where I meditate. I listen to ring shouts and I really come back to that, uh, to these people Mm -hmm. and try to bring forth as much, again, as much humanity Mm -hmm. as possible. And if, you can bring forth that humanity uh, that really gets guests and people who interact with you to see to to feel empathy toward mm. these people without doing it in a condescending manner yeah. uh, but being able to show that these are people who resisted mm. these were people who had joy. Mm. These were people who had pain. Just being able to accomplish that, I think that would, uh, that's the only advice I could give you to getting started. Well, that's beautiful advice. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much for talking with me today, sharing your knowledge with me today and with our listeners. It was been awesome. I've learned so much. Um, So much for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, Again, uh, for those of you listening, uh, Cheney is not your mama's history. Yes. And you can find her on YouTube. You can find me on YouTube. You can also find me at notyourmamashistory.com. That's N-O-T-Y-O-U-R-M-O-M-M-A-S. <laughs> and, and then history.com. And we'll put the link on our on our blog for this too. Oh no, and the I spelled it out and messed up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's multiple points of contact. It's fine. <laughs> um, but we'll have the information for mm-hmm. um, available for the listeners. Um, and again, for those of you all listening, um, I'm Abby Cox for American Duchess. You can check us out at uh, AmericanDuchess.com. Our blog is blog.AmericanDuchess.com. And again, we'll have the links. Um, in the info for this podcast as well as the corresponding uh, 
blog post that will come with it. And hopefully uh, Cheney can be so kind as to share with me some lovely images to help illustrate what we've talked about today. Um, and if you have any questions, you can always shoot us an email, contact us on our blog, on our website. And thank you so much for listening. And thank Cheney, thank you for being here today. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure.